Ah, uh, yes, it's OGP, my friends, the one giant podcast where you know it. I'm Adam Armbrecht covering the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast. My boy, Doug Norrie. But there is the season generational ticket holder for the New York football giants, Mr. Andy Mackowitz. We are your host for OGP on a Tuesday. Healthy, wealthy, wise, Andy, about to um, try to crisp yourself up in that sweet Arizona sun. Yeah, Adam had a, had a great conversation with Justin from Talking Nets. Uh, Talking Nets. See, you got me thinking about the Nets now, Adam. <laughs> it, you know, Talking Giants. Uh, it was really great. It's nice to hear someone that's a, as passionate as as we are about some of the different decisions that have been made and ha- how the team goes forward. Yeah, I'm heading off to uh, sunny Arizona for some work stuff for the next couple of days. Um, so uh, yeah, hopefully I don't get too sunburned. But as everyone says, it's a dry heat, right? It's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. But I thought I think that they've just been misspeaking. It's a dry heave. That's what you're you're about to go mm. into a bit of a dry heave when you get out Great. there. But listen, I think Great. um, you know, overall you have the um, you know, the heritage, the background. I think the skin complexion is gonna really respond well. I think it's going to be good. I think we're going to have some great opportunities later on, uh, maybe next week, to see how that color is really set in. But in the meantime, over here on the One Giant Podcast, like you said, great conversation. Go back and watch that video with Justin Pennick, uh, obviously from Talking Football, from Talking Giants, from John Boy Media. It brought up a lot of interesting things that we're going to try to tap into here as we work our way through the rest of the week around the offensive line, how how and when is it right to double dip, and we we. We mentioned it because I knew we were going to get to it, and that was the defensive side of the ball. And as you and I continue to work through positions, we keep unearthing new areas where, hey, there's a big need here. The question just becomes how early is too early? When do you want to target a guy? And are there the right prospects for them? And that's, of course, going to be on the defensive line, man. As we've done all week long and going back to last week, we start inside the building with what the Giants have, theoretically, on the depth chart, ready to go into the season. Well, so, you know, the, the, the way to think about the defensive line for the Giants is uh, to think about where the Giants were about 12 months ago, 14 months ago, last offseason. Um, you know, it was let Dave Gettleman's kind of last hurrah, trying to get to you know, right the ship and make the right free agent signings. And, you know, one of the big things that he did was let Dalvin Tomlinson walk in free agency. And Dalvin Tomlinson was – you know, a team captain, everybody liked him, was was a great guy, uh, you know, off the field, loved him on the field. We thought he was a really great player. Um, we were worried that he was going to, you know, be too expensive potentially for the Giants to afford. He moves on to the Minnesota Vikings, plays pretty great for them, uh, had a 75 pro football focus grade with four sacks. Man, it would have been nice to have someone like Dalvin Tomlinson on the defensive line uh, last year. You know, Dave Gettleman decided to go in a different direction, signing a, a, a lower um, – you know, signing in Danny Shelton, which clearly did not work out at him. Yeah, man. I mean, you go back and you think about where this position was with Leonard Williams and obviously having Dexter Lawrence alongside of him there. You said it, man. You felt like you had this really nice core up front. Now, over the last two seasons with those players in place, we said, you know, is chicken or the egg here, right? Who's benefiting from whom? And that's, I think, the question that we had even at the time around Dalvin Tomlinson. But ultimately, when you try to buy into what, what the decisions that are being made by an organization, you go, okay, you're telling me that you're not going to bring him back. Maybe it's the price point. All right, fine. But then you don't go into the draft and bring in a young prospect. You don't go into free agency and get a, you know, a valuable replacement. You go with a veteran in Danny Shelton. Now on the roster, initially when the season started, you also had a young man in BJ Hill, which we thought, listen, is he a little bit undersized? Sure. But he had shown some consistency as well. 
unless you're Dave Gettleman and you don't do the thing that everyone's cried for for over a decade for New York football giants, address the offensive line. Because you don't do that, you get hit with an injury with Nick Gates, you need to scramble, and you end up sending off B.J. Hill to Cincinnati to bring back in a, you know, first round, but looking like a bit of a bust, or at least not the player he was projected to be in Billy Price. And it's a scramble mentality. You end up stripping what had a ton of depth there at the position coming into the year, coming to that offseason. You basically, it's gone four or five weeks into the year. And you didn't even bring back the other player that you had last year as well as he walked out the door in free agency this past season too. Well, it's it's interesting that you talk about B.J. Hill because he was basically going to get cut from the team because we were too loaded at the defensive line because of the big acquisition of Danny Shelton, right? And now all of a sudden, yeah, B.J. That, Hill, was, that was a phrasing thing. Big acquisition. He's a big guy. Right. Not actually Large big in terms individual. Of ability. Yeah. Um, and you know, so, so the Dalvin Tomlinson contract, two years, 21 million. So about $10 million a year. Yep. Then BJ Hill gets shipped out for a bag of balls and Billy price. Um, all of a sudden BJ Hill is on the super bowl runner up Cincinnati Bengals loves it there. The team loves him so much. They give him a three year, $30 million deal. So in two straight offseat, like in, in 18 months, basically we've lost. B.J. Hill to about $10 million a year. Dalvin Tomlinson to $10 million a year. And the person who filled in pretty admirably this past year, Austin Johnson, now gone on a a $7 or $8 million per year basis to the Los Angeles Chargers. So really quickly, as you pointed out, we went from an area of strength with a lot of talent and competition to right now, currently on the roster, David Moa is projected as a starter who had a 30 pro football focus rating last year. And by the way, man, and just to kind of, uh, you know, we didn't want to, I don't want to get too far afield here. There's a lot of players we want to talk about, especially in the draft and, and how and when the Giants can address this area of need. But go back into that free agency class. This is where, now I said not a big deal signing a guy like Booker for a two-year $5.5 million deal. He's not on the team anymore, but you invest that money there. You invest the money in Kyle Rudolph, right? Like when you start looking around, especially, it's like you can even add in guys like a Reggie Ragland, like a John Ross understanding by the way a guy that never even stepped out on the field there ryan anderson all of a sudden you look and you go hey we have to fill in all these positions it's it's exactly what joe shane is faced with right now we have a lot of holes we need to fill them in but at some point you also need to make the assessment of this player is too valuable to worry about filling four needs instead of keeping one and that's where i think among the myriad of mistakes was look at the you know was kyle rudolph was that a necessity to to sign in the offseason, given where the franchise was? That's six million per year that you could have allocated towards keeping Dalvin Tomlinson or keeping and planning to retain BJ Hill on a longer term contract. Instead, you have about what eh, eight to twelve million dollars allocated for players that are not even on this roster anymore. That's the frustrating part to go along with it. Well, Adam, th- the crazy thing to me is it, BJ, we didn't lose BJ Hill because he was demanding too much contract. It was an active choice. Yeah. Like we, we said that he wasn't good enough to play and then he goes and shows up for, for the Cincinnati Bengals and then gets his three year, $30 million deal. You talk about Dalvin Tomlinson. We said he wasn't worth the contract that he could get on the open market, which was two years, $21 million. He had a 75 pro football focus rate, four sacks, would have been yeah. easily miles better than than anything that we had on the roster. It that just goes to show the ineffectiveness of Dave Gettleman's talent evaluation, yeah. not necessarily like the strategy of of what players like they got rid of BJ Hill before contract was even a thing. And so while while we don't want to harp harp on that too much, I get that. By the way, lot, 
just in the big picture here, I just had a myriad of thoughts. Maybe we'll get to it at the end of the week or early next week. There's a handful of things here that now I'm like, well, I got to go back. I got to go back one last time, and I got to talk about five, six, seven, eight players that were brought in versus guys that were currently on the roster and then even other players going even into the practice squad about what could have been done last year. But but keep us on track here, Andy, because I'm, I'm about to go far afield. I know, I know. I'm, I'm about to go down the rabbit hole of, like, we traded for Billy Price, who was, who could be cut at this point. And, and then we traded him for BJ Hill, who now is worth what he's worth. But I digress. So the idea is, who is on the roster currently? I mentioned David Moa, who was with the Giants last year, on the roster, listed as the starter on the depth chart. But Adam, but Adam, I will venture a guess to say, if the Giants don't select <laughs> anyone in the draft, that David Moa will not be the starting defensive tackle for the Giants. And the, the simple answer is, well, he's probably a rotational piece, good depth backup guy, you know, fine. But also the Giants did make a signing in Justin Ellis in the offseason. That was a quiet one that really no one really said anything about. And Justin Ellis, you know, defensive tackle has familiarity in Wink Martindale's system. Wink Martindale, even as recently as November, said this guy's a stud. I'm proud of what he's doing on the field. And we feel like he can at least fill in some of the roles that Austin Johnson has left open. You know, Justin Ellis signed to a minimum deal kind of shows the state of, of the defensive tackle position in terms of, you know, these guys aren't making 25 million in the open market like all these other spots. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that um, Austin Johnson played about 57 percent of the snaps for the Giants uh, in, in the defensive line rotation, Justin Ellis over the last three years for the Ravens has been at about 33 percent, 34 percent. So you already have some of what Austin Johnson had in the building as the backup on the depth chart, I think, you know, we're going to expect to see Justin Ellis a little bit in that rotation, no matter what the Giants do through the draft. No, certainly. And I think, again, we talk about Wink Martindale. We talk about the scheme, the fit, the knowledge that a player like this can bring in. That's as important as anything you're going to see over the course of it. But that's also as important as anything in terms of the, um, the weight that it carries within the organization. Now, this is a player that has ties from Baltimore that's been brought over here. So when push comes to shove, he's going to secure that spot on the roster for what he can do as much on the field as for what he can do in the film room. And hopefully what he can do for some younger players that the giants will look to bring in through the draft or maybe in some cuts along the way here. But just to put your point, Moa Ellis, eh, like that's what we're walking into right now. And it's funny we talked about all these values that 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 you know Dalvin Tomlinson little tiny sample size with those three players with Leonard Williams with Dexter Lawrence going across there and how valuable that was for one year it didn't come to fruition the same way but we always looked at everything happening in behind that when you talk about having edge rushers to get after the quarterback then they bring in Aziz Ojolari we think they're going to add another piece there continue to improve the rest of the secondary the linebacking room you you do need that value up front though in Wink Martindale's system to say hey, we want to bring an attacking mentality. We want to leave our secondary out on an island on the outside at times here. Getting to the quarterback is crucial. And dismissing this idea, and I don't think the Giants are now, but dismissing that element of what you create in that 3-4 scheme up front, it feels like that's what Dave Gettleman's failing was there, just saying, ah, we have two quality players. We'll stick anybody in there. That's not the way it works because it ends up being, like with Danny Shelton, a point of exposure on a game-to-game basis where the running attack all of a sudden, it's just kind of, hey, watch us chunk you down the field here. It doesn't matter what else you're bringing. We have a clear path to success. Adam, when we talk about the defensive line, too, you mentioned crucial decisions. 
the Giants have a massive decision coming up on Dexter Lawrence and whether or not to pick up his fifth-year option. They have until May 2nd to decide on $10.7 million, which ironically is literally in the middle of what Dexter Lawrence and B.J. Hill just got on the open market, throw more salt in the wound. But basically, the Giants have to make this decision by May 2nd. The draft comes up on the 28th and goes to the 30th. The Giants have to go into the draft with the idea of knowing which way they want to go with Dexter Lawrence before this. Because if they decide they're moving off of Dexter Lawrence and he's not worth the $10.7 million on his fifth-year option, it becomes even more critical for the Giants to address the defensive line and the defensive interior earlier in the draft than expected. Oh, of course. And again, this is a holdover from the previous regime. Anybody like that, even if they've been talented, you at least have to take the perspective of there's some chance that they are not a part of the long term, uh, you know, the long term prospects here for this franchise. We said about Xavier McKinney as good as we think he is right in the short term. Yes. But will this be a player that the Giants automatically give the big deal to in a couple of seasons? We'll see. Right. There, there's a number. Aziz Ojolari, very talented player. As long as he proves it out now over Wink in Wink Martindale's system, yes, we expect him to be a part of this core going forward. But everything is going to be proof in the pudding. And I think right now with Dexter Lawrence, it's interesting, man. You talk about Dalvin Tomlinson, those price points. I think you have to prepare for him not to be a part of the team. But then still still understand by the end of this upcoming season, we can look at his production and look at the value, especially in this in this new system and say, Worth every penny that we're going to spend on him. I don't see it likely that they lock into that $10 million price tag knowing they're going to have free agency money. I think when we talked about this like way, way back early in the offseason, you think that they should, right, lock into that money now and have him secured? Yeah, well, I mean, I do because look at what guys like B.J. Hill are getting on the open market. If you're If you're a starting level either defensive end or defensive lineman, wherever you want to position him, you know, Dexter Lawrence has kind of moved around the line a little bit. $10 million is kind of the going rate. Like if he, if he does what he did last year, even if it was a relatively mediocre season, he's going to get a two year, $22 million deal on the open market. And the question, the question is more, do the giants want to pay that? I, I don't know that that's what all I'm telling you is that's what the going rate is for a free agent at that position, sure. doing what Dexter Lawrence does at his age. And do you think that, because that's what's interesting too, right? The young players on the roster, are the first ones you think about getting new contracts and being part of the core, and the Giants are going to have a lot of money in free agency. But when you look at the potential of the needs that they could have going into free agency next year, like that, that's the interesting part. And that's why the draft is so critical. Depending on what boxes you check in the draft, you set up your table for next year's draft and for the free agency class. If you mostly feel like the offensive line is going in the right direction. You add one at the top of the draft here. You know you're going to add another piece next year as well. Okay, we're getting three, four, four-fifths of our line together. Great. We don't have to spend big money yet there. We know Andrew Thomas will be coming up for a deal. So it's like if you have enough boxes checked, then keeping Tom, uh, keeping Lawrence excuse me, and giving him a payday makes all the sense in the world. If paying him, however, prevents you from addressing other areas that we might think are more critical, that's the balancing act that you're going to have to do. But I can see a world where it all adds up. I just don't know. I think you're willing to pay. We said this before on a lot of guys. I'll pay $12 million a year in the offseason instead of locking into the 10 and change now. Just to, Let's just see, right? First year, new system. Prove that you are that stud, that at your age, you're worth a five-year deal at big money. We'll pay you that. We're going to have the money. It's the same thing we, I've said about Daniel Jones, right? If you blow my mind away, I'm ready for it, buddy. 25 to 30 million a year. But there's no reason for me to pick up your franchise tag, or sorry, pick up the fifth year option now 
knowing that if it goes off the rails, it looks a little bit ugly on the back end. Yeah, well, the, the tough part is the depth that we talk about. Now, teams don't normally carry a ton of defensive linemen in, on their active roster just because there's so many other areas. You need so many linebackers and cornerbacks to get hurt all the time. You're usually only carrying five, maybe six defensive linemen at any given point. But, Adam, you know, let's just say you fast forward 12 months if you don't pick up the Dexter Lawrence uh, option. Mm -hmm. Leonard Williams is presumably the only one of the six that are currently on the roster that you would see there. Then all of a sudden there's a red flag to be like, we got to revamp the entire defensive line. And how do we do that? So let, let's just say for argument's sake, we're going to figure out where they are with Dexter Lawrence right now. He's on the roster, but that still leaves that defensive tackle nose tackle position as an area of need for the giants with just Moa and just Ellis in the room, being able to do things. They're both situational rotational guys. The Giants are going to have to address the defensive line in the draft. I would I would put as much money as you want that with one of the picks in this draft, presumably between four and fourth round and sixth round, the Giants are probably going to have to solidify at least one, if not two, positional players there, right? Yeah, you have to add you have to add bodies to the room. Now, I could I can maybe say as long as you get one, depending on where you take them, if you want to go as high, say to 81, 112, 147, if you go in that range for one talented body, then I think you can wait for the market as guys get cut right and add another depth piece there and feel fine with that. Given all the other needs that we've highlighted before, I'd be hard-pressed to see them take multiple in this draft, even if it's way at the back end. But as we talk about those prospects then, getting into it and thinking about versatility, Wanting to be able to, yes, of course, stuff the run on the inside, but also provide some some hash rush ability, get after the quarterback, be that package that Wink Martindale can really wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. You have, let's start with, give me your 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 highest ranked guy that you really like in this draft class. Because I know you have a couple of guys that you're terrified of the Giants drafting potentially. So before we do the stayaways, you have one guy that you think is, yep, if you can target and get this player, that's the answer for the Giants. So I'm of the assumption that we have the bookends set up for the Giants in terms of Dexter Lawrence and Leonard mm -hmm. Williams. And, and this is a whole caveat because whether it's a 4-3 or a 3-4 defense, the outside linebackers and, and edge rushers and defensive ends can kind of be the same body type, skill, et cetera, et cetera, right? So yep. I, I was looking more along the defensive line. Someone to replace the Austin Johnson, Dalvin Tomlinson, um, B.J. Hill situation that we've kind of kind of mucked up. And so what I do is I look along the, the defensive tackle position. And the guy that I'm looking at is Neil Farrell Jr. out of LSU. Um, he's a guy that... Oh, my, my. I happen well, to have him up on my board as well. Oh, interesting. Great minds think alike, Adam. Because the, what I like about Farrell Jr. is he was, out of high school, the number one prospect in Alabama on defensive line. And he got all sorts of suitors on where he could have gone. He decided to go to LSU you know, this past year, he really showed up and showed out. He's a big body guy, 6'4", 325. Like, he can really do it. And he projects as a guy that, that'll that be, a, a, like, a big part of a rotation right away. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's going right around the fifth round. He's, you know, NFL Draft Boss has him as the 24th best defensive lineman. So I'm not giving you a guy that's going to, be you know, blow your socks off in the first round. But we're talking about a guy that can, you know, stuff the run, can be that interior line can be in a rotation with someone like Justin Ellis, give you 35% of the snaps on the defensive line with a chance to grow into the role as he matures and gets a little bit bigger and stronger. I think he's a great guy to look at with some of those draft picks in the fifth round. You, you mentioned 147 in the fifth round, 173. Talking about one of our last picks you know, towards the back end of the draft. If you could get a guy that could be a potential rotational starter 
in the fifth round, that feels like a success to me. Yeah, it'd be interesting, right? Average ADP of 120. So to your point, like this is kind of the the the, the ratio too. And we keep talking about this of yes, he this is average ADP, but what other positional needs do other teams have? Somebody across the board at all positions are going to start to fall a little bit. Just quickly before I mention a couple highlights on him, is 112 too high for you then? Like you're saying, hey, if we're looking at 147 and this kid's here, we we love it. But at 112, because the D, the the couple of details on, you said rotational starter, obviously, he's going to get subbed out in those nickel packages, right? When you're yep. worried about third down and distance, he's not going to be a part of what you want to accomplish there. But he is a player that you could plug in immediately and say, go stuff this run, stop that at, at the front, at the point of attack, and does have ability. He's shown the capability at LSU to still be able to move, require a double team, and get in on the interior. So, I mean, I, I like it from the, you stick him in the middle, and now all of a sudden you open up opportunities for Lawrence and for Williams. But it is the bottom line is, is 112 too high? It's it's high, but the Giants have five picks before that pick. Um, and, so what and boxes we, get checked leading up to Right, it? like that's the tough part for me. <laughs> I don't prioritize defensive line as much as some of these other positions of need. However, if the Giants, if the top of the draft falls the way the Giants want and they get an edge rusher right away, they get that offensive tackle. They find a way to get a linebacker to help out the linebacking court. They address either cornerback or wide receiver at some point in that mix. Now all of a sudden you're in, you're you're with that 112 pick and you're saying, all right, like maybe we could go for a wide receiver here who may not start year one, or we could get a rotational defensive lineman who can start from day one. So for me, it's 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 a cop out answer, but it's a little bit of how does the top of the draft go? Sure. And and did 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 we not address the linebacking position yet at that point? Because if we did, I much rather would 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 go for a linebacker in that in that 112 pick than I would a, a defensive lineman. Yeah. And it's funny too, because, you know, it's funny you bring that up because the one little caveat I was going to say before we get to your uh, untouchables would be that we said how important now the linebacking room looks when you talk about the depth there and future going forward. So at some point you're also doing the ratio of, well, even if we took, say we took a linebacker at 81, if you come back up at 112 and the value is there again, you could be inclined to say, let's add in two key players, one that's a sideline to sideline, range coverage linebacker, someone that's going to be able to get his nose into the run game and be ready to replace Blake Martinez down the road, right? So you, you can see a world where bringing in those two players in those middle rounds is far more important than getting that defensive tackle, especially when I'm going to highlight another player here that I think could be very much available at 147, maybe even later at that 171 number. Uh, but before we do, who are the, because uh, I'm very curious, who and why are there a couple of players that you automatically go, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't, well, don't. yeah. So, so there's, so there's two guys as, as we were doing some of the, some of the scouting, looking at film, understanding what the scouts are saying about them. The, the, the actually these two are off of my board for two separate, complete separate reasons. And, and oh, I okay. want to get your take on it. The first one is Perry and Winfrey of the Oklahoma Sooners. He is yeah. a freak athlete. He is 6'4", 303. He has power. He was one of the top-ranked uh, guys coming out of junior college, went to Oklahoma, showed up and showed out. There are some all-field issues with Perry and Winfrey, whether or not he's like motivated to actually play football, whether he's just in it for himself, whether he's trying to get money. They say you know there's there's reports of of him just wanting to party and enjoy the nightlife and be a certain My girl just wants to party all the time. What's the right, right, you know Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Very hmm. simple. Um, I I don't know if that's necessarily like what Joe Shane wants to hang his hat on. Is like, hey, my first draft, I want to go after a guy that's polarizing that may not be the great fit in the locker room in terms of what we're doing. So for me, 
uh, on his side of things, I think the off-field stuff and just like it being super risky, you know, Justin yesterday when we were talking to him on Talking Giants said, the Giants can't afford to swing and miss on these picks. You know, he's going in the second or third round. Imagine taking him in the second or third round sure. and him flaming out or potentially, you know, teams are already saying he's going to get suspended at some point in the NFL. And it's like, if you haven't been drafted and teams are already saying he's yeah. definitely going to be suspended at least a couple times in his career, like I want nothing to do with him, but I don't know if you think the talent outweighs the, the risk there. No, I, I'm right on the same page with you. And again, you know, it's funny. We always talk about, hey, like the athletes. And we, you you said it about some of the prospects at, at safety. We talk about it at linebacker. I mentioned, you know, DeMarco Jackson as being a guy who's just a football player. You know, the athleticism and the talent, that's something that at pick 36, some of the off-field issues, you go, yeah, but this guy, even if he gets suspended, it's still going to be worth it. Whereas players, when you start to get into 112 and 147, we know, right, as – as pious as the NFL wants to be on this, the talent can outweigh the issues. And unfortunately, while he is a freak athlete, you combine that with the off-the-field stuff and where he's kind of listed, I just think, listen, maybe it'll work out for somebody, but when you're trying to lay a, set a new foundation for a franchise, you can't be bringing in, especially if you're talking about a guy that's going to plug in and be a part of your rotation early in his career. You really don't want to run the risk of him being a guy that either one isn't as effective as a prospect as you hope he is coming out or two isn't available because he ends up dealing with issues. So I, I appreciate staying away from him. Hit me with what's your, who's your second guy real quick. Yeah. So and, and uh, because I'm assuming this is going to be because you don't think the talent is truly there regardless. Cause he said no off field issues, but just not going to pan out where he's being slated to go. Right. It's, it's this guy, Neil Farrell splits the middle of being a highly recruited top prospect, showing it on the field. No, no real issues to, to talk about. We talked about, Perrin Winfrey being a little bit of a concern, you know, too much of a risk for the Giants up front. The, the person that I think the Giants should avoid, and it, it, it's, it's for a few reasons, is Haskell Garrett out of Ohio State. He's a defensive tackle. He's been there for five years. He's 6'2", 298, Adam. So I feel like he's a little bit undersized for what we're right. looking for here. You know, they say sounds, sounds, sounds dangerously close to a Danny Shelton. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Danny <laughs> no. Shelton's 350 pounds. So he's a little, he's yeah, a little yeah. bit of a, a bigger boy, but, but Haskell, the, the challenge with, with him is mostly fluff. You think, oh, well. uh, you know, what, what's inside of that? Is it, it's stuff. It's fluff. It's peanut butter. I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I digress, but You're, there's a difference between being a guy that weighs. Think about the dudes. Like think about Haloti Nada. Think about even, even goose for the, for back in the day for the Baltimore Ravens, right? Like these dudes were big. Emmer Effers, but when you looked at them, you were like, yeah, but they're football big. Danny Shelton looked like see you at the donut shop big. Sorry, I know this doesn't matter. Right. This, you, you, you look no further than former Giants Snacks Harrison, right? Like he filled out the frame pretty yes. good. He was 340. He was the same size as Danny Shelton. You felt like Snacks was stuffing the run and getting in there all day. So yeah. I, I agree. It's like 340 wears a different way on different types of guys, <laughs> right? Yeah. But but in terms of Haskell Garrett, so, you know, he's 298 pounds, so he's under 300. He's actually, like, closer to some of these defensive ends and some of these other linebackers in terms of his size. But, Adam, I, it just feels like he's got a, a little bit of athletic limitations. He's also 23, almost going to be, like, almost 24 by the time the season starts. Like, he's peaked in, 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 in his athleticism. He played in a 4-3 technique. Because like he's a little bit smaller, so you have four people up front, it's fine. In a three-four like Wink Martindale system, he's really just not a fit for what the Giants are looking to do. 
Now, by the way, I agree with you on that piece of it. Uh, Neil Farrell is also almost 24 years old. So one one calculation you got to do on these guys is you're talking about bringing in a player on his rookie contract, and by the time he's up for the next one, 27, 28 years old. Like you're making a decision about paying a player that's going to be moving into his 30s over the life of just his second contract. And I think that that is a factor when you talk about when are teams going to be competitive and you think relative to guys currently on the roster. Farrell could come in being older than some of the players that have already been in the league for a couple of years. But again, if the talent is good enough, you obviously are going to make that extra push. We heard that about who's the defensive end um, top of the draft there. Jermaine Johnson, right? He's also yeah, he's, uh, on, he's, on the older. Yep. He's, he's significantly older. There was a good chart. I forget who put it out on Twitter. Like they showed a bar chart of like all the ages of the different <laughs> players. And like Aquanu is very young, which is exciting to think about how good he is as an offensive tackle. And then Jermaine Johnson is like, uh, like the deviation between him and everybody else is significant. And it's something to think about. I think where, where I, where I differ uh, on Neil Farrell and, and uh, Haskell Garrett is Neil Farrell is going later in the draft yeah, than, yeah. than Haskell Garrett is. And also when you're the number one recruit and you've shown the athleticism and the ability to do it, I'm, I'm less concerned on a fifth or sixth round pick, but that is, that is something to look at. Some of these guys, especially we forget about this COVID year where everyone kind of got an extra year of eligibility. They're all, you know, presumably a year older when you're talking about these juniors and seniors. No, for sure. So on my side of it, just quickly here to tap into a couple, because I went a little bit further in the back of the draft. There's a couple of guys here. One that I've kind of had on my radar for a lot of it. Now over on draft buzz, he's listed as an undrafted free agent. I think you can still feel comfortable, especially in one of those last two picks, the one seventies, the one eighties, he'll be on the board there for you. And that's going to be Noah Ellis out of, uh, excuse me, out of Idaho, because you talk about, listen, there's different versions of players you want to have in your rotation. You're talking about Danny Shelton type weight, then six foot four, 359 might just be the body for you, but he is very good against the run. Like that's what he's going to be. He's going to anchor there. He gives you some value in the pass rush, obviously, but by but for the most part, you're going to stick him in the middle. He's going to anchor the interior against the run. You're going to bring him off the field, obviously for all the key passing downs when you want to have a little bit more flexibility, but just in terms of a pure, a pure stick in there at nose tackle plug and be able to, I'd say work into the rotation with these other two bodies we have on the roster. This is a late round flyer for a guy that I think you could easily look and say, hey, he could give us 20% of the reps at the position. And that's important, right? And you can start to think about rotating him in with some leaner, more athletic players on those passing downs in the critical spots. I like him, but the guy that I'm starting to come around on here and a player who currently right now is listed. And this is where I'm taking one little far field step here. We're going to get into defensive ends, the edge rusher group, and obviously talk about where they can bring in players. But when I see a guy who's six foot six, 319 pounds, I see a guy that has a high level of versatility out of Iowa State. I'm going to absolutely butcher the kid's name, Ioma Uwazariki. And this kid kind of looks like, by the way, looks has, has a Leonard Williams kind of vibe to him. He has the beautiful bun up top there. But he comes in, as I said, 6'6", 319. You talk about his grade over on draft buds. 77% rating against the pass and an 83 against the run. There are areas. He's a little bit of a raw prospect. He's going to need to continue to develop. But again, this is a player that's highlighted as ADP at 163. Would I take him at 147? Well, you're on the fringe there. But if I've addressed the other areas ahead of it, certainly. And if he's there at 171, I feel really good about grabbing this kid because he just looks like he has all of the skill sets and the, and the, the baseline that you want to have to be able to say, let's put on a little bit more muscle to him, get him up to 325 into 330. And even if he plays the way he's at right now, 
what does 6'6", 319 kind of sound like? It kind of sounds a little bit like Leonard Williams, right? And so you can envision him this year rotating in, in on the interior potentially, or think about the big front. Who's behind Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, right? What is the, what are the options in behind those players? We don't have a lot of depth there either. And I know we're, we're going to get more specifically into that position, but this is a guy that I think can do both for you. And then you'll see where is he best suited as he works through. Not unlike Dexter Lawrence came in as a pure nose tackle. He got moved outside. Yeah. I think his size gives you a little bit of versatility across the, across the line right now, you know, having, having backups in, in Nico Lalas, who, who we've seen, only a handful of times hasn't been able to crack the roster. Um, Raymond Johnson is also there sitting in the backup. Could could Yomi come in and, and be kind of that rotational guy, even situationally? Sure. I mean, the, the challenge that I have with him, and I, I was doing some some recon on him, is you know the the, the weaknesses that NFL draft buds talked about. Like you, you don't necessarily see them on like his game film that you, that you put there, but. Yeah is is not able to consistently shed blocks. He misses tackles and he must improve his hand use. I'm like, yep. oh, that doesn't say that doesn't sound great. That doesn't sound great in terms of technique, but he does have the size to at least be able to play the position. And if we can get Wink Martindale and the and the defensive line coach to be able to coach it out of him, could that be a, a later round guy? You know, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same mold as you. Yes. Size wins wins out on that over just pure football knowledge at this point. Yeah, and especially, again, back end of the draft, you're looking to take guys that could be contributors, come in, develop, and, you know, we're threading the needle here. Giants have plenty of needs. So when we talk about some of these prospects, and um, again, I'm going to say that he can play on the inside of this. We're going to spend plenty of time on the on the edge here, or on the defensive end, excuse me. But I, I, I think the, the value chart is always going to say, well, here is player X who we think we can develop and could be a contributor next year. But if we see best player available, that dirty little term, but if we see a player that we know can come in and be a contributor in the immediacy and develop long-term, that's, I think, the ratio in his last three picks of the draft for the Giants. That's what they're looking at. They're saying, hey, do we still have a hole to fill at linebacker? Do we only get one early? Well, if I get a guy that I know can rotate for 30 to 35% of the snaps, we need that right now, right? As opposed to someone that we think a year from now could be that much better. So it'll be interesting, man. You and I, for the most part, are steering clear of, you know, we didn't mention some of the bigger names, obviously at the top of the board, like a Travis Jones, who yes, is incredibly talented, but his average ADP is 54. Are the giants there at, you know, at 36, there's a couple other names up there as well saying, maybe we should be thinking about defensive tackle at that spot. That's only, only in a world where they've traded down from one of those top picks. Otherwise, I think this is where you need to live. 112, probably at the highest, and then all the way back through those back end of the drafts to try to fill out a, a still a key position of need. And wouldn't you know it, the Giants have plenty of those. Yeah, I mean, look, we're avoiding guys like Jordan Davis, who ran a 4740 at yes. 340 pounds. He's an absolute specimen, but the, uh, we keep talking about this. And you, oh, sorry, let me real quick, since you brought him up, though. When we talk about that trade-down scenario and liking Devin Lloyd, right, getting in the middle of the first round, would you put Davis on that on the table there if you if you made that trade back and you got additional assets? Is he talented enough for that And you know, with a need chart, obviously? Or are you going to look and say, I got four guys at other positions that we need and are also just as talented? Another caveat, it depends on whether or not they intend to pick up Dexter Lawrence's option, right? Like yeah. if they if they say yeah. they're they're moving on from him, that 10 million is too much, you could get a guy like Jordan Davis and plug him in and be like, Yep, we're good for the next four years. I'll see you later. But but to me, if you already made the decision on Dexter Lawrence, there's probably other guys that you would want. And Adam, you know, we, we talk about Travis Jones, we talk about Jordan Davis being 
you know, th- those are guys that are, are freak athletes that are going to be gone in the first and second rounds. Oh, and I yeah. think the consensus for giant fans is we just have too many areas of need. And that's the problem with being a bad team is you have other big impact positions that you need to fill before some of these other guys that you really like. At the end of the day, my friends, it's another position, another need. And, and, The positive would be there's another list of prospects throughout this draft that the Giants can look at to fill that need. I think back end is where Andy and I both feel comfortable on it, but it doesn't mean that you don't want to add someone here, even if it is for the long-term prospect, because we're highlighting you could once again in next offseason be very bare across that front, needing to fill in pieces, even with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. Still going to need more. Nothing is one having players run 95% of the snaps there, especially in a 3-4 scheme. We're going to come back in and break it down. There's another piece that uh, we talked about with Justin Pennick that I wanted to just touch on. We'll do that next episode when I think we'll take a look on the offensive side of the line. Two pieces actually coming out of that conversation with Justin about win record, which I just thought was an interesting tidbit to touch on. And then how willing the Giants should be to double down on the offensive line, assuming they secure one at the top of the draft. As we know, though, you can go ahead and follow us over on social media where we're doing our darn thing all throughout the weeks leading up to the draft here. It's it's here, Andy. We're, we're within 10 days, a week and a half away from getting answers to all of these questions. You follow us on YouTube. You get into the chat. You hit us up with our questions. Hit us up with your prospects. We'll take a look at them, and we'll, we'll break them down and talk about them on the show. Get after us on social media as well. And as Andy would want, need, and nay, demand the people know, as always. As, as always. <laughs> I say, I tell you go big blue. blue.